Open your Bibles with me, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19 will be our key text today as we continue our sermon series to be continued. And our sermon series is entitled To Be Continued for two reasons. One is that Paul is passing on the baton of ministry to his son in the ministry, his protege, Timothy. And he's saying, you've got to continue this ministry. Remember, Paul had planted the church at Ephesus. He'd sent Timothy on many missionary journeys or side journeys, but he left Timothy for years now at Ephesus, and he's writing him with advice on how to pastor this bunch of people he knows and dealing with all the issues that have come up in this church. But the second reason is that Uh, to be continued because there was first Timothy as well. So he's telling them how to carry on. Now you've got your Bibles open and you see that our text today or or excuse me, our topic today is dealing with false teachers, which would beg the question, how do you know what a false teacher is? And if a false teacher is a false teacher, what's the big deal with false teachers? Is there something wrong with them that they would be problematic that we need to deal with them. And finally, if they are problematic and they do cause issues, then how is it that we would stand up, respond, argue against, fight against, battle, combat, whatever, and do that not in a nasty way, but speaking the truth in love? I think we'll see all three of these things in our passage of Scripture today. And I'm going to ask you, if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, that you would do so now as we read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. If it is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we open the words that Paul wrote to Timothy, and we know they're recorded in the Bible because you want us to know them as well, we pray that you speak to us, that you'd help us from becoming judgmental, but that you would help us to become judging, that we would clearly be able to see right and wrong, and where the issue is of debate, that we would certainly demonstrate grace and love. But God, help us to know what to say and how to say it, and teach us through this text today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Your first point on your outline says that false teachers are recognized by. False teachers are recognized by. You know, some folks are easy to recognize. It is easy to recognize the difference between a child and an adult. It's easy to recognize the difference between an infant and an older child. 
And most of the time, it's easy to recognize the difference between a man and a woman, although that sometimes is up for debate in our society today. It's easy to recognize a uh, white-collar person versus a blue-collar person most of the time, but not always. I had a friend, and actually our electrician, that finished our basement. Heather was her name, Heather Bohati, and Heather has since passed uh, away and gone to be with the Lord. But I'll never forget her dad, Russ, our electrician, comes over to the house and is wandering through, and, you know, he's in his 70s, and I say to him, "Um, aren't you going to write anything down? He says, no, I'll remember. And sure enough, he wrote it all down and remembered everything he needed for our basement. Well, the first day they show up to bring the things in, um, uh, here's Russ, the electrician I thought was going to be doing the job, and this blonde-haired, blue-eyed lady with jewelry and, um, you know, just as petite as she could be. Uh, and and um, he says to me, this is my daughter, Heather. Um, she's going to be doing your basement. And forgive me, but I kind of did a double take, and he said, oh, she's a licensed electrician. And I still thought to myself, she doesn't look like an electrician. Besides, she's wearing perfume and she smells nice. Who's ever met a contractor that looks and smells nice? This is Tom, sorry. (laughs) Tom's a roofer, not a roofer, a roofer. But you know what? Heather, though she put on that electrician belt that was bigger than she was, I mean, it was like all around her. That woman was the fastest, best electrician I've ever witnessed. I'd go to work in the morning and come home in the evening, and I'm like, how did she do all that one day? I mean, she wired and had everything ready for our basement in two and a half days of working. It was amazing. And as I got to know her and she came back and do some other things, I, uh, you know, like I talked to most people, where'd you grow up? Uh, where do you live? Do you have a church home? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Found all those things out about her. She was a believer in Jesus. And I said, Heather, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, you know, as a lady in a trade that has many men and working in many houses, do guys treat you with respect? She said, you know, you'd be surprised. I'm always, well, most always treated with respect on the job site, no matter the type of men there. But it's when I go dress like this, with her polo shirt that said Bohati Electric, Heather on it, you know, and her kind of work pants on, to a grocery store someplace else. It's the way that the ladies look at me. I said, well, isn't that a shame? Because they didn't know what to make of her. The same way I didn't know what to make of her. Well, we recognize people for certain hallmarks, certain traits. And if you look at what this passage of Scripture says, we see that there are certain hallmarks or certain traits of false teachers that we should be able to recognize. Look at your first sub-point there is arguing insignificant issues. As you read verse 14, it says, Keep reminding them of, them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Well, quarreling about words, you could say to me, well, it depends on what kind of words we're quarreling about. Some words are very important. That's why we have lawyers. That's why we have laws and a constitution and, uh, you know, covenants and codes and agreements and all kinds of things like that because words are important. But the way that the Greek writes this is probably best translated by Eugene Peterson, and that's really a translation. It's a, uh, um, you know, his interpretation, and he says about pious nitpicking. This is about the believer in Jesus or the biblical teacher who really gets down in the weeds and talks about things that are not significant. 
it's talking about things that are generally foolish. You know, it's uh, not a matter of discussing which ice cream flavor is best, or like Thomas Nettleton and I were debating, which type of Thin Mint cookies are the best, Girl Scout or the ones from Aldi. By the way, Wednesday evening, I'm going to do a live taste test in the hallway for Awana. I'm sorry, 18 and older, older, older must apply. Children, you're going to get your own snack in Awana on Wednesday night. But I'm going to come with the different types of mint chocolate cookies. And so if you want to be a part of my blind taste test, like the old Pepsi challenge, come Wednesday night. Yeah, be here. I'll be in the hallway. So we're going to find out. So that's not the kind of insignificant issues we're talking about here. Uh, What type of cookie is the best? But this is about what we would call, we're using a cliche, where uh, Bible teachers seem to major on the minors, where they make a big deal out of something that's really significant, and they do it repeatedly. You see this in churches that are legalistic and teachers that are legalistic. Versus, using another cliche here, keeping the main thing the main thing. Jesus and the gospel and teaching Jesus from the Bible rather than focusing on all sorts of extraneous stuff. Paul warned Timothy about this repeatedly. He warned Titus about this. And he warns us about it as well. The second thing you see is about talking foolishly. Talking foolishly, and that's in verse 16, the first part of verse 16. It says, avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Now, your Bible may have a different word there. It might say worldly or empty chatter. It might say profane or vain babblings, as the King James say. And when you use that word babblings, we think of what we you know, hear our charismatic friends may do. And maybe you've come from that sort of church background or you've been to one. And they speak words that sound like gobbledygook to our ears. And they say that they're speaking in tongues and those sort of things. That's not the translation of this word, babblings. This is uh, most, or excuse me, best understood as things that are just really worthless. And therefore, the translation chatter. This is uh, cliches, platitudes, mama said, preacher said. These are nice things to say, but not necessarily scripture. And so we've got to be careful about those sort of things. So first, we have arguing about insignificant issues. Secondly, we have talking about foolish things. And then your third point in recognizing a false teacher is speaking obvious lies. Some false teachers are going to be easy to call out because the things they talk about are obviously a lie. Look at verse 18. It says of Hymenaeus and Philetus, It says that they wandered away from the truth and they say that the resurrection has already taken place. And the result of that is that it destroyed the faith of some. Well, it should be clear to that church, the church in Ephesus, that the resurrection hadn't taken place. Because certainly there were people in that church that were guaranteed, bona fide believers in Jesus that the rest of the church members would go, if the resurrection's already taken place, why is that guy still here? How did he miss it? So it was either that the resurrection did not take place or that they had an inadequate understanding of what the resurrection was. And that wasn't the case either because Paul had been with the church at Ephesus for three years. He taught them. They knew and he'd sent Timothy back. So it wasn't an inadequate understanding of the theology. It was that these guys came in and said, hey, you missed it. And they were trying to gain a following. They were false teachers. And though the resurrection is a big thing, it wasn't that they were arguing an insignificant issue. They were talking foolishly about it. And they were speaking obvious lies. 
there could be teachers today that speak about things. I'm talking about Bible teachers that you kind of rub your chin a little bit and you go, I don't know, I've never heard that before. I don't recall reading that that way in Scripture before. And we'll talk further about how to combat or fight against those in our final point today. But we've got a question here to summarize our first point. And that question is this. It's, what else makes me question a Bible teacher? You personally... So those are three things I saw in this passage of Scripture. But based on your experience in the past, even if that Bible teacher is the guy that's talking to you right now, certainly somebody you've heard on the radio, somebody at another church you've been to, or a Bible teacher a friend has talked to you about, what else made you question them that you said, hmm, I'm not quite sure about that? Certainly, it could be the approach of the Bible teacher. Certainly, it could be the manner in which the teacher taught it. But it could be something, like I said, majoring on the minors. Talking about things that are obviously lies. Talking about doctrines that, eh, that's not biblically sound. It could be a hyper-focus on certain scriptures or certain issues. A legalism. Big deal out of that. But they neglect all of everything else that scripture says about that doctrine or that issue. Certainly, all of us, if you've been a believer in Jesus, even for a short time, even as a teenager among us, maybe even as a child among us, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've talked to somebody with different biblical translations and understandings or viewpoints, and you have to wonder about those Bible teachers. So Paul's warning about the Bible teachers. Paul says of those Bible teachers that we can identify them. They can be recognized, and he gives us some traits. But now we need to move on. Because if we can recognize them, like I said, what's the big deal? Why do we need to recognize a false teacher? Well, let's move on to your second major point, is that false teachers are dangerous because. False teachers are dangerous because. When I went to South Africa, there's nine different official languages in South Africa. All the tribal languages, then English and Afrikaans. And all the signs still, because I was just there in the very new post-apartheid era, um, were still in English and Afrikaans. And even some places you would go, there would be no sign in English, but it would be in Afrikaans only. But I'll never forget the one verboten. I probably didn't say that right, but it means forbidden. And it had like, you know, the skull and the crossbones. If I didn't know the word, I got the picture, right? There's a skull and a crossbones on this thing. Don't go in there. It could kill you. Or at least they wanted you to think it could. There are certain signs that we look for that tell us that something is dangerous. Scripture tells us here, Three different things we can see from this passage about false teachers and why they're dangerous. The first one is that they are ruining their listeners. Go back to verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. So Paul is saying to Timothy, keep reminding the church of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. We already talked about that. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. The Greek word for ruin there is the same in Greek as it is in English. I'm going to say it for you, and let's see if you can understand it. Catastrophe. I mean, literally, it's a direct translation from Greek to English. Catastrophe. 
And it means to overturn, overthrow, and we get the idea that ruin is a short and easy word for catastrophe, right? And Paul says that false teachers are so dangerous that they will literally cause a catastrophe and ruin the people that listen to them. And you think, well, wait a second. What if it's just a little bit of untruth? I remember a story from when I was in high school and I wrote a paper about Eddie Rickenbacker. Eddie was the premier American fighter pilot ace. I was all about airplanes in World War I. 26 confirmed kills and probably a handful more that were unconfirmed. Well, that's what he did in World War I. And, you know, there's a period of time and he grows older. Well, World War II runs around or comes around. And so Eddie is an American hero. So some generals say, Eddie... We need to use you both for your knowledge of how the Air Force works, because he went on to be a general, even though he retired, but also uh, uh, as a goodwill tour. So they sent Eddie Rickenbacker to the Pacific Theater. And he was flying on a B-17. He wasn't the pilot at that point, but they had the crew of eight, Eddie and a couple other folks, on a goodwill tour of the South Pacific. However, this one flight in October of 1942 the instrument that provided the navigation to that B-17D was damaged in an incident before takeoff. They took off from Hawaii. They ended up in the South Central Pacific, 240 miles off course, and floated adrift for 24 days before they were found. It was a small error, just about a half a degree off. And they flew that B-17 and flew that B-17 and flew that B-17 and the island that they were supposed to see wasn't there. Well, then they took a different direction because maybe it's here. They took a different direction because maybe it's here. And they ended up having to put that plane down in the middle of a vast ocean. Because just a little bit going astray led them to a catastrophe. Friends, we've got to be careful about what we hear of the Bible and the deadly effect of false teaching, the catastrophic effect of false teaching over time. That's what we see in our next point as well. And that's growing ungodliness. Not only do we have to worry about the ruining their listeners, but how are they ruined? They are ruined because the ungodliness grows greater over time. Look down at verse 16 again. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And it's just a little bit off, but the further ungodliness. It's like my illustration of the compass, the instrument that was just a little bit off, but the further down that road they went, they got further and further from the truth. It's a slippery slope, which is a logical fallacy, but the reason it's a logical fallacy that works so effectively is because we've seen it and we know that it happens. That somebody takes this step, then it's that step, then it's that step. In logic, it's wrong, but in life, we know it's reality, and it happens even with theological understanding. So we've got to be careful of false teachers because they ruin listeners and they grow more ungodly as they go further down the path of false teaching. The third thing we see about why false teachers are damaging, or excuse me, are dangerous is they damage others' faith. They damage others' faith. Look at verse 17. It says of those guys, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. You know, down in Missouri, there is an army base. 
And I always thought it was like one word because the way everybody said it, it's Fort Leonard Wood. They always say Fort Leonard Wood. And I thought Leonard Wood was like one big long surname from, you know, somewhere other than the United States. Well, no. It's the guy's first name, Leonard, and his second name, Wood. Well, why did, what in the world did Leonard Wood do to get an army base named after him? He was a surgeon. And he taught about sanitary conditions in field hospitals so that soldiers wouldn't die from the gangrene and the sepsis that would set in after they were injured. They could be injured on the battlefield. A surgeon could do something to save them, even if it was an amputation or something like that. But because of the unsanitary conditions in surgery and thereafter, these men would die. And it was what happened in the hospitals that killed more soldiers in the Civil War than what happened on the battlefield. But Leonard Wood had ideas about things and... It was amazing the transformations that took place as they taught about sanitary conditions. And I say all this to say he is immortalized with an army post named after him because he stopped the spread of something like gangrene, infection. Paul uses that word there to tell us that that's what false teaching can do. That it can grow like an infection that will be small. I've been in hospital settings before where maybe you have been in hospital settings before or maybe you've been the one that has had the infection where somebody, um, you know, went in with some part of their body infected and I love when they take the permanent marker and they outline the infection on your skin so they can see if that red or inflamed area has grown or shrunk based on the treatment in the hospital. We do the same sort of thing or we should do with our theology when we see that somebody has bought into something because they've been taught and they were taught in such a way that it was persuasive that their faith was damaged and it was spreading like gangrene. Go on in verse 18. It says they've wandered away from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they have destroyed the faith of some. If the idea of gangrene wasn't enough for you, if the word catastrophe and ruin wasn't enough for you, if growing ungodliness wasn't enough for you, Paul outright says these guys have destroyed, utterly annihilated and obliterated the faith of some. That's a little bit scary to think about what a false teacher might do. Over in 1 John chapter 4, John tells us that we are to test the spirits to see if it's God, because many false prophets have gone out. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, he said, They're from the world, and they therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. But the problem is, so many of us as believers in Jesus have enough of the world in us and not enough Jesus in us, that when we hear those false teachings, they sound right to us, or we're persuaded by them. Which leads us to our application question on our second major point here. And that's, how else could a false teacher hurt people? Based on your experience, we saw the three things that Paul said, ruining catastrophically, growing in ungodliness, and destroying faith. But what have you seen that a false teacher has done that has hurt somebody? And it may be folks that are involved in something we would identify as a cult. Maybe you have family members or friends. Maybe it's just a church that teaches uh, the Bible in a way that is not conservative or evangelical like we generally tend to do around here. What have you seen? How has it been dangerous? How did you recognize it? 
How would you know that someone is a false teacher or listening to false teachers and how it hurts others? So we know how to recognize them or we know that we should. We know why they're dangerous. But now we've got to talk about how to combat them. That leads us to our fourth or excuse me, our third final point. False teachers are combated by. Now, I thought about another word there. I thought about, should we use a word as strong as combat? Should we say fight? That doesn't sound as bad. We think about combat as military. Should we use stand against? Should we use defense? Overcoming? But frankly, considering the tone of the passage... And the way that Paul was taking a strong sand to say, here's what you've got to look out for. Here's the damage they can do. And here's how you've got to stand against it. I figured I probably better settle on a word that's a strong word because Paul's giving a strong warning for the church there at Ephesus and Timothy as their pastor, but also for you and I today that we need to watch out for false teachers. So I settled on the word combated. And here's three things we see from this passage about false teachers and combating them. The first one is remembering they exist. Remembering they exist. I mean, seriously, what did he say there in verse 14? Right off the bat, keep reminding them, the believers in Jesus, the church at Ephesus, of these things. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, passing on to him, you've got to remind your church, my church, our church, God's church, the church at Ephesus that we love. You've got to remind them continually that there will always be false teachers. And so that's why we talk about it today. That's one reason I preach through books of the Bible. When you preach through a book and you preach through it phrase by phrase, word by word, you don't miss anything. Even the things you might be tempted to skip over as a pastor because you're like, ooh, I'm not sure how I'll say that. I might hurt somebody's feelings. You have to talk about it, right? But we're talking about it here because it's in here. And Paul says, it's still happening today, so be on your guard. That's the first thing we got to know, friends, that false teachers are living and active even today. We need to remember. And so we think about even this sermon. What's it about? False teachers. And are you convinced that they're real? Are you convinced that they're out there? Are you convinced that they're dangerous? All right. We've done our job so far. Scripture has spoken to you. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. I've done my best trying to persuade you that way. So that's that first step is to admit there is a problem, right? Hello, my name's Aaron and I'm a fill in the blank. Hi, Aaron. You got to admit you're a problem. But the second step here is knowing the Bible personally. It's one thing to admit that false teachers are a problem even today. It's another thing to know the Bible personally so that you are prepared to, what's my word? Combat false teachers. You've got to know the Bible personally. Now, this is our Awana verse. If you ever wondered what Awana means, it stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. Everybody say it with me. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Yeah, Look at what it says in my translation. It's a little bit different in the NIV 84 here. It says, do your best to present yourself to God, not to the church, not to your spouse, not to your best buddy, to present yourself to God 
as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth or rightly divides the word of truth. In other words, you know the It's amazing how to handle it. It's amazing to see somebody who knows what they're doing. And, you know, we don't necessarily go into somebody's office and say, wow, look at that office manager work. That person is amazing in the way they get all these things done, although maybe you see the evidence of it. We don't celebrate the office manager, but, you know, later this afternoon, this evening, some of us are going to join in something that may or may not be a celebration, depending on who you're cheering for. But what you will see is some amazing skill and some coaching combined with that, the Super Bowl, if you don't know, friends, right? And I think the reason I'll watch it is, one, the commercials, two, there'll be good food there, Um, three, we'll be with friends, and then four, I'll watch it because I like to see athletes at a high level of ability and skill. You know, when you see people do something, then they make it look easy, and you're like, how did he do that? Or how did she do that? How? Practice. They do the same thing over and over and over again, so it's routine, so it's known, so it doesn't have to be second-guessed. And these guys, yes, they get paid an obscene amount of money to play a game for the rest of us to watch for our entertainment, right? But that's because there's something in us that says, these guys are really good, and this many times is fun to watch, and so we do. How does it apply to God's Word? To know your Bible personally What have you got to do? What's the one word I used of our football players? Practice. You've got to engage Scripture daily yourself. And you know I've told it to you a thousand times, and I'll tell it to you a thousand times more. The number one determining factor of how every area of your life is going to go as a Christ follower is how much you engage God's Word, how much you hear it, or how much you read it. Because when you do, God does something by the Holy Spirit to change you. And the more you know God's word, the more you can be who God wants you to be and the greater you can be. I don't know that any of us today in the game, well, I know at least some are cheering for a certain team, but I've got to show my allegiance to my favorite should be in the Super Bowl team (laughs) today. And there's a bit of a debate on who is the goat, right? For those of you that don't know that one, GOAT, greatest of all time. Tom Brady makes a firm case in his uh, you know, tenure with the Patriots. The championships he's won, the records, his longevity. The man is amazing. And why would he be called the GOAT? Because he works hard. He has subjected his body and his mind and builds his whole life around it. Yes, he gets paid an obscene amount of money. But the guy's a competitor like none you've ever met before. And he should be held on a pedestal, at least the pedestal, glorifying athletes and humans that use their self-will to do incredible things. But, you know, there's another quarterback not playing in the Super Bowl today who I like. And some people might argue that he's the GOAT. And I'm not going to argue that here. But my point is simple. The point is, what did they do to get to the level of attainment they did? They practice. They focus. What can you do to prepare yourself to combat false teachers? Engage God's word. The great thing is about engaging God's word, you can listen to it while you're driving down the road. 
You can listen to it while you're on the elliptical trainer at the gym. You can listen to it while you're doing yoga. You can listen to it while you're doing housework. You should probably also read it. You should probably also write some things down. You should probably do it when you're not distracted by other things as well. Not probably. You absolutely should. You should engage other people in discussing it through Sunday school or a small group or a Bible study. And you should apply it to your lives as day in, day out, you learn and practice the truths of Scriptures. As you apply it more and more, you become more and more like Jesus. And I don't know that we're going to have a bubblegum trading card of you. I don't know that if anybody's going to have you in their fantasy Bible engagement league or anything like that. But I do know it'll make a difference in your day-to-day life if you engage Scripture so that you're ready to combat false teaching. And let's make one more point about that. Guys that play at the level of the NFL and do as well as our friend Tom Brady... Every day of the year, he's thinking about it. Every day of the year, he's preparing for it. So that those 16, 17, 18, 19 games of the year he gets to play, he's ready. Brothers and sisters, you need to do the same thing. You don't know when your game is scheduled. You don't know when false teaching is going to come to you. That's the difference. Tom Brady can look at a schedule and say, oh, this week we're playing this team. Next week we're playing that team. But any day, any time, false teaching is going to come to you in the form of a friend or in the form of a radio program or in the form of a book. And the only way you'll know it's false is if you've prepared all the other days before it comes. So let's move on to our third and final point here about combating false teachers, and that is pursuing righteousness. Because friends, if you are engaging the Bible daily or regularly, that is the number one pursuit of righteousness that you can follow. What does it say in verse 19? It says, nevertheless, you got to love that word, no matter what else, God's solid foundation stands firm. In other words, you cannot get around Scripture. It is the foundation for everything I'm teaching you, says Paul to Timothy and us today. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands sealed with the inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus, God knows. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. This is Paul saying, if you're following false teachers, you may not be saved. If you're continually in pursuit of false teachers or you are a false teacher, you may not be saved. But if you pursue righteousness, biblical righteousness, if you're willing to consider, is that teaching true or false? And what would make that teaching true or false? And search the scripture and know the scripture. We know that you are pursuing righteousness and your life is set apart, sanctified, holy. You're saved. Let's ask Our final application question. What habit can I practice to be ready? If we think about combating false teachers, what habit can you practice to be ready? Maybe you already engage Scripture regularly, so that's not a habit you need to add. Maybe the habit you need to add is praying Scripture back to God. Maybe the habit you need to add is journaling about Scripture, your thoughts and your questions, your ideas. Maybe the habit you need to add is some other spiritual discipline like meeting together, attending Sunday school or a Bible study. Maybe the habit you need to add is getting a mentor 
Someone who can disciple you, who is more mature in their Christian faith. And they may not even be older than you, but they've been with Jesus longer than you. And they can help you and they can hold you accountable. All of us have these things ahead of us and we can do them if we will. And I don't have a gym membership anymore, so I don't know what it looks like. But I remember when I did have a gym membership that I just avoided the first three weeks of January at the gym. Because all kinds of people that I didn't know were all up in my machines that I wanted to be on, you know. But I knew about February I could get back to the gym and it'd be more normal, right? Because folks make those resolutions, they get going, and then they probably go too hard and they hurt something, and then they find a reason not to go. Bless their hearts. Going to the gym is one thing, folks. Physical training, the Bible says, will prepare you for some things, and it's good. But spiritual preparation will prepare you for a lifetime And it's amazing. And those are habits we need to practice. Our scripture memory verse for the month, and we're in a new month, so we have a new verse, is on the bottom of your outline. And Seth will put it up there on the big screen for us to read together. And that's 2 Timothy. And I think we're in chapter 3, aren't we? Chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, a sermon we'll get to in a few weeks here. But let's read it together. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those who from you, you, I messed that up, excuse me. Let's try that again. Start with because. Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Forgive me, that phrase was written in a way that we don't normally speak, isn't it? But you see it in Scripture. That we need to be ready and prepared. Because false teachers are out there. As we engage Scripture daily. To be the people God calls us to be. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Scripture that does show us the truth. We realize that there can be interpretations of Scripture. There can be false teaching of Scripture. And that we're not always right ourselves. So we pray that you'd make us humble. That we would be willing to ask questions. Be willing to study. Be willing to think and pray. And let Scripture interpret Scripture and not take Scripture out of context. And all these other ideas. But primarily, God, that day in, day out, we would engage the Bible, listening to it, reading it, praying it, thinking about it, studying it, talking about it, thinking about it, writing it, that we might know exactly what your word says. And we might see on our own how doctrines are formed and how theology is structured. And we would know who you've called us to be in the midst of a world that is ever more sinful. So Father, thank you for the warnings you give us today. Thank you for the encouragement you give us today and the challenge you give us today. May we take it up. And we pray, as always, Father, that if there's any person here who knows that they've never trusted Christ as their Savior, 
that they would make a decision today to commit their life to follow him. And they'd share that with us. For any of us here who've wandered away and maybe we followed false teaching or we're just not engaging scripture, that we would confess that to you right now today. For any here that need to say, I need to join this church, a church that teaches the Bible unapologetically, where I might serve. Would they do that today? Whatever it is, Father, as we stand and sing, would we obey you? In Jesus' name, amen.